For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Apostle Paul closes out his second and last letter to the Thessalonians with a very strong warning. The church had some members who were disorderly, and the healthy members had to take definitive action. Now let's join Pastor Ross in a message entitled, The Troublemakers. All righty, good morning, church. Are you ready to finish up 2 Thessalonians? Amen. Well, we're headed to chapter three. We already bit off a little bit of the chapter. The first five verses are already completed, and we're gonna pick up at verse six after we ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we're uh, excited to end this book and and get the lessons that you have for us in chapter three as Paul uh, signs off this sweet uh, letter to dear friends, uh, these Christians who... Uh, he led to the Lord and started a church. And Lord, there's some strong language. And wow, what a warning. He's dealing with some problems. And Lord, we just want to listen with ears that can make sense of what's going on and, and then apply these truths and be blessed in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the best way to destroy a church is not from outside, but from within. Uh, it's true of any organization or institution, right? Any company or marriage, for sure. Like Jesus said, you know, a uh, house divided against itself cannot stand. And so if you keep that in mind, very important as we look at chapter three, you'll understand why the Holy Spirit, uh, speaking through Paul the Apostle, is going to use such tough and harsh-sounding language in an exhortation and warning because the welfare of the church is on the line. So if you remember that, it'll make sense. Like, whoa, there's a big uh, threat to the fellowship that got started one of the very first Christian churches in all of Europe, the church of Philippi first, and then the church of Thessalonica. And it's that church that we're talking about that has the problem. Now, uh, outward attacks have been going on. They've got a lot of persecution from evil and wicked men, quote, that we talked about last week. But yet, the church is flourishing. More and more faith, more and more love toward God and dedication to serving him. So that's not working. Well, maybe it was the devil who coined the expression, if at first you don't succeed, try, try. Again, once it's certainly a philosophy he ascribes to, uh, there's something more um, insidious and harmful at work, not from without the church, but from within. A small minority of church members were out of line and causing a lot of problems. They had been warned in First Thessalonians. We, we studied that book, but now uh, they have not listened, and the church is really suffering they don't know how to deal with this. And uh, it is a very dangerous and tenuous uh, situation. Now, in order for you to uh, dive into the text at verse 6, 
Without thinking, Paul's overreacting and being too harsh. Uh, you need some context. So you've got to start to want somebody to take some action against these troublemakers. So let me tell you about them one more time, and then we'll dive in. Who are they? They're, in Greek, they're called the attack toy. And, and they have layers of bad behavior. Um, but the word in itself gives you a good understanding of what they're doing. It means it's a military term, and it means to break rank or to be unruly or insubordinate. So they don't want to get with the program. They don't want to come under God-called servant leaders. They don't want to come under the program. They're always on the edge with the clipboard, kind of the quality control, Holy Spirit, uh, help to the church. Uh, they're more spiritual than everybody. And with them comes a lot of drama, a lot of words, and, but it's all in the name of Jesus. But the big issue is that they've misapplied the, the word, the teaching, that Jesus' coming was imminent, that he was going to light up the skies and that all the prophecies are in order. Uh, but for the rapture of the church, that's the next event. So they misapplied that by having an excuse. They didn't like to work, these Greek men, anyway. They felt it was beneath them, manual labor especially. They used the second coming and its imminence just means any second, as an excuse to quit their jobs and to get into everybody's business and help to try to guide the church into better, more spiritual paths uh, while they're sitting on everybody's couch eating their food and expecting everybody to take care of them. They thought, you know, I'm not called in these last days to waste time uh, digging ditches or, 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 or painting people's houses that's, that's not what God has called me to. But meantime, guess who's footing the bill? Everybody else in the congregation is taking care of them. So they're causing a lot of problems. Now, it'll seem to you in the text that it's all just about getting a job. Because he does focus on get a job. <laughs> right? Uh, but it's so much more than that. And, but we'll see as we walk through it. So uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians isolated that behavior, and here's what he said. He was really clear. He said, number one, get a job. And then he said, provide for yourselves and your people. And, and he goes on to say things like, if you don't take care of you and provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So, you know, he didn't pull any punches. So, number one, he warned them really clearly, first letter, tell them, Get a job, provide for yourself. And then secondly, he said, settle down. Calm down and stop telling everybody how to live their lives. You're, you're in everybody's business. And then thirdly, he said, mind to your own business. In other words, use your time, your energies, your resources to manage your own life before the Lord first. Get your act together. And here comes the response some months later. The response is, well, you, talk, you tell Paul, we will do no such thing. Who made the apostle Paul boss of us? Verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle. That's the attack toy word. 
In this place, it means mischievous, out of sorts, out of line, rebellious, and lazy. So small little word, <laughs> means a lot. <laughs> and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We weren't idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. No work, no food. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are lazy, out of order, not with the program, unproductive, not working. These are not, they are not busy, but they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Now, as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. And then come around, right? Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So that's the crux of the passage that we'll be looking at uh, this morning. And like we do, we like to kind of take bite-sized chunks and walk through and, and glean any insight that would be helpful to us. Um, I see three things here, an exhortation, um, an explanation, and a directive. All right, so we're going to take a look at that. Uh, the exhortation is to what some writers call the redemptive pulling back. Redemptive because it's for a good cause to help them get back on the right path because they're brothers in the Lord. We love them. So this would be called tough love. So uh, an explanation that's going to say in verses 9 through 13, follow our example. And here's the reason we're talking like this. And then finally, that directive, he's going to say, don't enable people. You're not helping. I know it seems the loving thing to do, but let me show you another side of love. Right? So that's where we're headed. Now, if you're new, I met a few of you this morning. Welcome. You know what? And I told some of them, oh, you know, uh, today you picked a Sunday, you know, and, and somebody was really honest and said, well, we picked the Sunday. It's not your fault. <laughs> well, for a kind of teaching that's a little bit awkward. I mean, I could see somebody coming to church on Sunday morning and say, why, are you gunning for somebody? Is somebody out of work? Are you, why would you pick of all the verses in 66 books? Why would you pick that one on a Sunday morning? Well, uh, we don't pick the verses. The verses pick us at this church. And, and here's what I mean by that. Calvary chapels, we pick a New Testament book on Sunday, and then we go through it verse by verse. There's no skipping over anything. And so you get the good, and you get the bad. You get the pleasant. You get the not so pleasant. But you know, sometimes when I meet somebody who's new, I don't want to talk about church discipline, if, if that's what you're going to call this. I mean, it's a little bit of a bummer, and it should be sad, right? As a pastor, I'm imagining this little church, Calvary Chapel, Thessalonica. <laughs> and I know what's going to happen. 
Oh, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be ladies crying. And maybe guys crying too, it sounds like it. <laughs> and uh, it's just sad when Christians can't learn to live in God's will and under his love and do the right thing. Uh, it's a very sad thing. But with that said, uh, here come the last words of the letter. And last words are often important words. I remember when my parents would leave, we were all teenagers at the time, they'd take a, a night or two away. Their last words always, don't forget to lock, set the alarm, or here's the extra, the extra money, here are the emergency numbers. And my dad would always say, don't burn down the house. <laughs> Right. How many of you had a dad that said at least once in his life, don't burn the house down? Yeah, see? Here's what he's saying. Here's this love letter about the second coming and encourage one another with these words and about the problems. Be proactive and do something before you are complicit in the demise of your fellowship. In other words, last words, don't burn down the house of the Lord. Don't light it on fire because you're afraid to hurt somebody's feelings and somebody's going to call you unchristian and not loving. Because look, I mean, look what he's asking them to do. Pull back in love. That's going to be hard to do. Listen, I'm just going to tell you something very wise. Ready? When you have to deal with a problem and you know you have a problem and it's going to be uncomfortable, but you know you have to deal with it. And you keep putting it off because you want to spare yourself the confrontation, the awkwardness, the relational strain. Anybody can relate to that feeling? Yeah, thank you, everybody, right? <laughs> if you like that kind of thing, you've got a problem. <laughs> Nobody likes that, right? Let me just tell you this. The longer you don't do the right thing and stop it, and intervene and do the little nasty thing that's required, right? The worse it gets. You spare yourself a little awkwardness at the moment, but you know what you're setting yourself up for? In trading, you're trading that for a larger, more uh, profound, more entangled mess that's going to be that much more painful. So he's saying, do you like your church? You want to keep your church healthy and happy? Because right now, people are avoiding each other, walking the other way. When they attack, Toy are coming. Oh, not, not him again. I can't afford to feed him. I've been feeding them six weeks. So people are now getting, they're doing it, but they're getting resentful. They're enabling it, but they don't know how to stop. So Paul has to say, in the name of God, we command you to be proactive and do something or you're going to be complicit in, in the disintegration of the Christian love in your own body. So he says, number one, the exhortation in God's name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' authority comes a command. And that is what God's word is. God's word is a revelation of who God is, his nature, his plan, his will, and not his suggestions for mankind, his commands. You're thinking, well, that's Old Testament. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, they will keep my commands. The New Testament, God's word, listen, Old Testament, New Testament, it's all thus saith the Lord, right? It, it just doesn't matter. When God is saying, this is something you should do, 
It comes in the form of a command. And what is the command? John says, God's commands aren't any burden for us. Is it a burden to not commit adultery when you love your wife? That's a commandment. Is that a burden? It's not a burden because I love my wife. So, of course, the burden to, to, to not commit adultery, not to cheat on her, it's not a burden. So you could say it's a command, but it's not a burden. God's commands to people who love him, who are responding to his sacrificial life on the cross, bleeding and dying and gasping and humiliated for us, his commands to love people, to die to self, to, to live for the glory of God, they're not a burden. So, so don't say, oh, commands. It's, it's a command to really not destroy yourself, as I said last week. They're commands for you to be happy. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 13 says, aren't these commands I'm giving you today commands for your own good that it shall go well? So Jesus commands them to do the right thing because that's what they're needing to do because it's hard. So here's what he's saying. When there's someone in the fellowship who's out of sorts with the leaders, who's out of step with the scriptures, who there's a willful, repeated rejection of the right behavior, God is now going to command these Greeks, these Greek Christians, to limit their involvement. He says, keep away. Now, uh, the reason I gave you such a lengthy introduction is because if you open up to this, that the Bible's telling you to keep away from a Christian, you're like, what? How loving is that? Well, did you notice in Psalm 25 that I didn't even plan this? God, the multitasker, just threw it in for free. But in Psalm 25, in what we read, it says, all your ways are loving, so how loving is that to say, keep away from somebody in the fellowship? Very loving. It's called the definition of love. We, we only do the soft side. But there's 1 Corinthians 13 that defines it in a whole chapter. What does it say? Love does not delight in wrongdoing. Love doesn't pat somebody on the back on their way off a cliff. Love tells them, hey, dude, I know you don't want to hear this. I know you think all roads lead, but I'm telling you, I've been down that road and the bridge is out. And, and I'm, not, I, I'm going to tell you in love, you know, I don't want to hear it. You think, uh, you think you know everything else. You're better than everybody else. No, bro, I'm just trying to save you from going off the cliff, right? All you know is your hands are clean. You didn't pat them on the back in Love, because love wins, and so you send him off to his demise. What's up with that? Is that that's not called love. There's another word for that. It's called I don't care about you. I care more about that you like me than I'm about to upset you but save your life. I need an amen. amen. Anybody will do. Let me see. Let me see. Roy, it's your turn. Next time. I'll look right there. All right? Hold on. Let's practice. An amen. How many of you say amen? How many of you say amen? Roy, you're going to have to change. <laughs> this is funnier than first service. So keep this one. All right. All right, where was I? 
All right, so yeah, let, let me help you out if you think a good I get a chance to uh, pull back from somebody in the congregation. No, you don't. Yeah, if, if, you know, uh, the person you just don't like, you're going to say, okay, I've got to pull back now because I'm commanded to in the Lord's name. Or they irritated you or they're having their ups and downs and you happen to hit them on a down. That's not what the text says. Not supposed to, with, and, and, and you don't withdraw from a, an unbeliever. The context for what he's asking us to do is plain. Christian church, Christian person causing problems. And the problems are very clear. It's persistent. It's been warned. There's been patient. Listen, the time for warm, fuzzy uh, lunches and, and invites for dinner and long walks around Spring Lake to maybe just kind of reach out. And, uh, oh, those, those have failed. Done. That's the context. Not because somebody, you know, hurt your feelings. Oh, I'm going to withdraw from them because the Bible says so. Don't do that because that would be wrong. Amen. Roy? Amen. All right, very good. <laughs> Number one, why do you keep away? Well, there are two kinds of reasons. The first one, let me remind you that bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. It's one thing to have a ministerial friendship with somebody where you view them as a person with bad behavior, but you're reaching out with the love of God and you have a relationship with them. That's different from locking arms with somebody in an unguarded relationship because in that sense, you're just friends with this person. You will be pulled down. It's not my opinion. It's the Bible's opinion. The bad company will find a way sooner than later. Do you think one day that there were 25 attack toys just sprung up out of nowhere? Uh-uh. One attack toy will probably be called attack toss in the Greek for singular. One guy decided, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to get up in everybody's business. I'm going to tell the pastors how to do their job. And I'm just going to be a social nuisance to the whole church. And as he was doing it, there were people loving and reaching out and opening their homes and feeding and nurturing it. And guess what? One became two. And two became three. Three became four. Why? Because the Bible knows something. Bad company corrupts good morals. So he says, for your sake, a little distance, in love, not with an attitude, not with a holier than thou, not with your, I'm good and you're bad and I'm pulling back, not out loud in public, some kind of subtle, gracious, kind, withdrawal a little bit. That's all it is. Cordial. When I go back east, where I was raised, New York and Massachusetts, when I'm there, I start to talk like them. I want a cup of coffee, all right? I really do, and I like it. There's something about it. I just let go, and, and it comes out of me, all right? When I come back, I still want the cup of coffee for about, I don't know how long. It takes about a month to get it out, right? You know what? When you hang around somebody who says, I've got a scratchy throat, and I'm feeling a little warm, about 48 hours later, guess what? You feel a little scratchy, you feel a little warm. Accents and germs and fleas aren't the only thing can that, that can jump person to person. 
and a tack toy spirit who comes in with a clipboard. Oh, the clipboard Christians. All right, it's okay to use your brain and evaluate what the pastor is saying. Got it. But you know the type? They're like the quality control Holy Spirit God squad. You know, they got the clipboard, everything you say, and they're just looking at you like, hmm, yeah. When you say, oh, man, I hope we can save some, they say, we don't save people, Pastor Ross. Only Jesus saves, right? Uh, yeah, you know? <laughs> Thank you, you're right. Praise the Lord. I gotta go now. <laughs> The second thing is what he's going to talk about <laughs> later. He's going to talk about the second reason you have to put some distance there too. And that's the stop enabling them. If you stop feeding them, maybe they'll come not to your kitchen, but come to their senses. Right? So he's going to talk more about that. So, so the idol, the word there is just weak sauce, all right? Like I like to say, uh, it really, it's, here's, here's who they are. Able-bodied men who can work, who think work is beneath them, and for whatever reason, they're not going to work, and they've made it a spiritual reason. That's who we're talking about. We're not talking about people who are poor. We are commanded to help the poor and have open hearts. Use wisdom, but we're supposed to be helping widows, single moms. How about the guy who's in between work? He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about someone who just refuses to carry their own load and take care of their own uh, fiscal responsibilities. That's who we're talking about. Uh, even there are people in this society today who are working 24 seven at some job and they just make enough to pay the utilities and their rent. They need help. We're not talking about them. We wouldn't say, well, get a second job. We wouldn't say that. This is about, see, you've got to be thinking when you read the Bible. This is about a specific person. He can, he's a freeloader. He doesn't want to apply anywhere. Hey, did you hear so-and-so's hiring? I can't do that. I'm praying through. <laughs> I'm praying through. Now, if you think we're talking about just getting a job, you are so wrong. If you want a good theology of work from the Bible, you will come to this chapter. God isn't talking about, it's so important for you to go to that job and punch in and get your paycheck. That is not the point here. The point is that God Almighty is industrious in his own heart. John chapter 5, the Pharisees say, hey, you're working on the Sabbath. He, Jesus says, well, my father is always working 24-7, and so am I. The Godhead is always industrious, working at something. What did Jesus know it when he was a junior hire? I gotta be about my father's business. I was created to, uh, to work, to be productive, to be a blessing, to have something to do. In the Garden of Eden, in chapter two of Genesis, God creates the man blows into his nostrils the breath of life, and he becomes an eternal being. 
And what does he do? He says, I've got a job for you. I want you to make this place beautiful. Keep it beautiful. Some of the words are trim, to care. Then he gives him a wife. First, he gives the man something to do. A job, a commission, a task, a challenge. This is what I want you to do. Then he says, I'm going to bring a woman. Now, then comes the fall. And the fall turns everything upside down. And ultimately, you can trace every evil thing back to Genesis 3, where the sin enters the world. And what does it do to the beautiful task that's in God's heart and he put in the image of us? Since we reflect his image, we need to be industrious workers. But the sin added frustration and sweat and dislike and a lot of jobs that are no fun, quite frankly. Now, in the renewal of all things, what Jesus calls the second coming, the renewal of all things, we get jobs. He gives us responsibilities based on our faithfulness with our jobs now. He says, huh, I see that you were given this much ability in your life, your, your Christian life, and your job. Now I have a job related to your, commensurate with your own faithfulness to the task I gave you. Now I want you to work this way. And now there's no curse. So the, the joy and the responsibility of managing the kingdom that's coming, there's going to be a kingdom that comes. We reign and rule, administrate with him. That's the Bible. So, my friend, you know, heaven, I don't know what you think. You're going to be, you know, playing harp sitting on a cloud uh, in some easy chair, you know. There's going to be a lot of joy and, yes, a lot of rest, but a lot of work in a blessed way. What does he say? Whatever. Do you think that preaching is the only vocation uh, that God thinks is holy? You can wash dishes for Jesus. You can cut people's hair. No, a hairdresser said every single person who's ever sat in my chair for 30 years has been prayed over. And I'm listening for ways to bring the gospel. That is her, that is her holy calling. Washes it, washing dishes. You know, some guy came up to me and said, after he read this verse, he said, boy, I go, I went back to the kitchen and the smell of busting the dishes had a different smell because I was thinking of the cross and what Jesus did for me. And the Colossians chapter three says, whatever you do, do heartily because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that you're serving, not men. So he said, I think of the cross and the love that God has for me and the pain he suffered for me. And I washed those dishes in Jesus' name and for his glory. And he said, Monday morning never looked so fun. No. Roy, Roy, I'm getting a new amener. Oh, he said I'm trying to take notes. Karen? Okay, thank you. Amen. All right, so that's it. That's it, man. And not only that, come on. God wants to produce character in us. Instead of sitting on the couch playing video games, yeah, strong thumbs. That's not what he's looking for. <laughs> He's looking, <laughs> whoops, sorry, to step on anybody's toes, I didn't mean to. Um, responsibility, routine, listen to this one. 
doing something that really you don't feel like doing, but you have to do it and you have to do it well, even though there's no emotional engagement for you. Who likes taking out the trash? Nobody. But when you are mature, you know, hey, I've got to take out the trash. I don't want to do this right now, but if I don't, you know what? It's going to smell in here, right? Work teaches us. It molds us. It gives us character. How to get along with difficult people. How to come under authority and to serve and to be humble, to be thankful, all of these things. So wash dishes, cut hair, deliver the mail. <laughs> Little slow. <laughs> oh, Roy, I love you guys. Very good. All right, uh, let's move on. We get the exhortation. It's pretty clear. Distance between them uh, in a redemptive way for your sake and theirs. Okay, number two, some explanation here a little bit for uh, his example here. Um, and so we'll isolate that. Very good. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help. And he's going to talk about that. He says we're modeling. Now he says, listen, as ministers of the gospel, guess what? It's written in the Old Testament that, and as a foundation for New Testament ministry, that those who work full-time who are called and qualify by their gifting and through their life and through their character, they are God-chosen to be in full-time ministry, that they receive their compensation, their livelihood from the gospel. Uh, it just, Paul sums it up. Uh, he says, uh, the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Let me read to you a verse in the Old Testament, the foundation of that. Numbers 18, here's what the Lord's saying. I give to the priests all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving in the sanctuary. That's the foundation. And then Paul lays out a beautiful foundation, 1 Corinthians 9, that pastors, according to Jesus' words, Christian workers are doing a work that is worthy of being paid, worthy of their wages, all right? Got that. He said, just so you know, I could have come in town, and, I, and maybe my Bible studies would have been a little bit better, but we were working day and night. Why? Because we saw this problem coming, and we were going to lay down our rule. If you want to eat, you better be working. We could just hear them saying, well, Paul didn't work. So he said, in order to pull the rug out from underneath them, even though God would, be approved, would approve us getting a little help so that we could do this, and then you could be fed, and we could be cared for. He said, but no way. Here's what we did. Night and day, we worked. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find out how this happened. They'd come into town. He'd work in the morning during the cool hours. He was a tent maker by trade. All rabbis had a trade. Uh, that was what they did. So he would make tents until about noon, till the midday Mediterranean sun came out, and everybody would break for siesta time. It's still kind of like that over there. They'd eat a little bit and go up on the roof where it's uh, underneath some awning there and just kind of get the cool breeze. They'd return to work. Six o'clock, 
They'd, they'd work until 10 or 11. They'd eat dinner at 9, 10, and 11. They still do, that kind of thing. During the afternoons, Paul would teach and preach. So he'd get up in the morning, go to work, make tents till noon, grab something to eat, and then teach during the whole afternoon. And then and when, when the heat would go down and people would go back to the shops and to uh, their employment, he too would go back and he'd work. And he says, we labored and toiled. Those words are really hard. They mean to sweat and to strain. He said, we did that. I'm not asking you guys to do anything I didn't do. Did I do it? Oh boy, that was the, <laughs> the death knell in their coffin was, hey, the healthy church would say to the attack toy group, our leaders, Silas, Timothy, and Paul all had jobs. What are they going to say to that? You would think nothing, but they had things to say. They had, well, we have a different calling, okay? okay. <laughs> There's always something to say. And, and, and so it goes on. So he goes on to tell you in the text, hey, it's not just that they're not working and lazy and just sitting around their house. They're getting into everybody's business. Why? They got time. They got time on their hands. You know the saying, it's a secular English proverb, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Because we were designed to be engaged. Got something to do, the alarm clock goes off, I got a task to pour my energies and focus. I'm not just uh, reeling around in nothingness in me. That's a dangerous place to be. And so what they did was they got into everybody's face and their business. Now, if it were today, they'd be stalking you on Facebook and find my friends, and they'd find out, hey, that barbecue looked delicious. Why wasn't I invited, right? Why wasn't I invited? They always know where you're at. These are the people, busybodies, you know. Listen, they tell you, sitting there, eating your food, right? They're telling you, you know what? You're letting your kids go out trick-or-treating? Did you know that Halloween was a holiday of the devil? You know, that kind of telling you what to do, how to raise your kids, when you need to pray and fast, uh, what kinds of foods you need to be eating. They're just in your space too much. Man, you need these magic oils because they'll cure you of every problem. You know what I'm saying? I'd have to get another part-time job to afford those magic oils. Oh, no, but they're going to keep on, even though you said, look, I'm not interested, they're going to keep on you until somehow you, you take out a loan for those magic oils. So, dear Lord, just, uh, hey, they're violating a wise proverb, and I have it to you. I've brought it up to you before when we talked about this. They're in three translations because I love all three of them. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and they will hate you. <laughs> the new living softens it a little bit. This is Proverbs 25, verse 17. New Living wants to take away the hate because it sounds so strong. So don't visit your neighbors too often or, or you will wear out your welcome. That is such a nice way of saying they'll hate you. Uh, <laughs> King, <laughs> King James Version is my favorite. 
withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee and so hate thee. <laughs> this is a tact toy 101. Uh, if they would just listen to that, right? But you're the non-Christian one. You're the unchristian one who is going to now withdraw and not take care of them. And so Paul gets strong with them. He's saying, we're going to lose the church. You want to lose the church? Then keep feeding them. To these troublemakers, you can go back to the text. He invokes the name of Jesus. And here's, here's really what he says, and then we'll move on. He's saying, in the name of Jesus, please, get a job, be quiet, mind to your own business. Period. That's what he's saying. Be responsible, be respectable. So when people come in from the outside, they don't see a bunch of people who don't pay their bills, they're in debt, uh, they don't uh, live within their means, they're resentful of one another. Please, just really get a job, be quiet, calm down, and mind to your own business. But Paul, what if all, in light of all your teaching, uh, they're going to disregard it. Well, then let's finish up. If anyone does not obey this instruction for the second, third, and fourth time in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. No. You, you want someone to feel bad for what they've done for bad behavior? Wow. Verse 15. You don't regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. So let's talk about this directive to stop enabling them. Listen, I feel like they were saying to him, Paul, what do we do about it? It's getting hot in here. You know, hot. They're stoking the fire with the wood, right? So they're complaining about the temperature of the sanctuary with all of this obnoxious behavior and burdens. And I can barely take care of my own family, Paul. And I've got this guy, and I don't know what to do. I'm feeding him, feeding him, and I don't know what to do. And I don't know, knock, 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 open up, come on in. And I, Paul, I don't know what to do. We're losing money, and, and, and people are resenting him. And, and oh, ding dong, come on in, here. Oh, I just prepared dinner, here, sit down. They've got a problem, and so do you. And if we look to Dr. Phil right now, Dr. Phil would say, now who here is, can see? No, sorry, <laughs> that's bad. Uh, I tried. You're part of the sick dance if you're complaining but enabling. Complaining and enabling, he says, listen, in the name of Jesus, stop that. Mark the person, identify the problem. Here's the list the apostle said, behavior, behavior, behavior. This person, what is their behavior, behavior, behavior? And then pull back. Now, you, you will never fix a problem if you can't name it or identify it. And that's what your verse is just saying to do. Have a game plan. I want to lose weight. Well, how's it going? Not so good. Why? Well, do you go to the gym? I don't, know. I don't really go to the gym. How many calories should you be? Ah, calories. You know, <laughs> you know. There's no plan. There's no identity. All you're saying is, yeah, I've started a diet. Why do I say this? Because I just started a diet. And I haven't done anything. <laughs> I texted my 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 sibs all live. They're all foodies. 
and that my sister has a food blog that's kind of famous now. And uh, everybody's texting about food, and I'm saying, I just started a diet. So then they're asking me what I'm doing, and I'm like, uh, let me see. <laughs> It's not, it's not gonna happen. You have to have a plan. I'm gonna work out this many days. I'm gonna, I, it takes me this many calories to do this. I'm gonna stop eating by this much, you know, and all of that, right? Roy. <laughs> Let me make my one political statement a year. I never talk politics from the pulpit, never. But I'm going to right now. <laughs> The problem that is going on in the world that threatens to destroy the entire planet is not being named by a certain country and president. And if you don't identify the problem and you just keep saying and excusing it away, like it's just extremism, if you don't identify, you don't identify, you don't, you, you don't take special note, You don't know what the problem is. You're never going to be able to fix it. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah that was no problem. Roy, take the day off. <laughs> this person, the apostle said, these behaviors, we notice it. Hey, look, we love you. We just can't have you over anymore because you know what the leaders said. We love you. I'm praying for you. Oh, that's the hardest little four inches in the whole world, right? Was it Paul's idea? Was it Paul's idea they do that? We command you in whose name? He's saying, Jesus is telling me to tell you this is love. And let me close with the story of the prodigal son. The wasteful, prodigal means uh, wasteful. Luke 15 tells of a boy who just wanted his father to die so he could get the money. So he went to his father who wouldn't die and said, look, you're as good as dead, you know, give me the money. So he gets the money. You guys know the story. He goes off to a far country and he squanders. That's where you get the word prodigal, squander, waste, the old King James wastrel, a person who wastes on wild living. And then, you know, times were good as long as he was paying the tab for the drinks, you know. But then he ran out of money, and there was a famine, and people still wanted him to pick up the tab, but he couldn't anymore. So his friends left him, and he began to be in need. Then he got to a place. And listen, here's what the Bible says. He got to be in need, quote, and nobody gave him anything. He was in need, and nobody gave him anything, which caused him to be hungry. He goes to the pig pen. He gets hired on a nice Jewish kosher boy. He gets hired on in a swine farm to feed. He's not even longing for the bacon. He wants the food that's going to become pre-bacon. All right, the food that the pigs are eating, he is hungry for. He starts to smell the smell. And he realizes, what is that? And he has to come to the conclusion, that's me. Because he was in need, need, because no one 
was giving him things. His mom and dad weren't behind the, 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 the La Fed's throwing food or orders over and they had secret because you wouldn't have the story. He had to get hungry. There had to be a pulling back. There had to be a shame, a feeling bad. Now, I know we worship self-esteem now and, and God help anybody who says something to make somebody think or to change their behavior and not feel good about themselves. But God says that it can be a good thing, a redemptive thing for someone to feel the consequences of bad behavior. I feel ashamed. He says, like, nobody wants to have me over anymore because I'm eating all their food. Their little ones are hurting because I'm eating their food and I could be out working instead. I feel bad. So I'm going to go out and get a job. He says, don't get in the way of the evangelists of need and shame and feeling bad and remorse. Those are God's sent evangelists from heaven to that person's soul to say, wake up, turn around. Not as an enemy, as a brother or sister in love. And they do. But not if you keep getting in the way. Get out of the way so they can connect owie and behavior. And then they'll stop doing the behavior because they don't want the owie. But if you keep shielding them from the owie, they're going to persist in the bad behavior because they don't feel the pain or the shame. Listen, you know, you know that some of them got the message because the church goes on. And one Sunday morning, after the church is doing what Jesus commands, in walks a former attack toy. And he's got something in his arms. It's a few loaves of bread and a little small wheel of cheese and one cluster of grapes. And he says to the elders there, he says, hey, listen, lunch is on me today. His wife's standing there glowing. Lunch is on me. I went down to the graveyard and I said I saw some new holes being dug and I thought just maybe you need some help digging or relocating that dirt. Or... And they hired me. I got 50 shekels. I went out and got some lunch for the church. Do you know what kind of joy and dignity in his own heart and he walked by the, the little, they had boxes. The temple had a, a, a box where you'd go by just like we do. That's where we got the idea. <laughs> they had offering boxes. And, and the guy goes by, puts down the bread on the table. Everybody's like, whoa, wow. Because they know who he used to be. And he walks by and you hear a little clunk, clunk. That's a life-changing clunk, clunk. You want self-esteem? That's where you find it. You don't find it anywhere else. Self-esteem comes from doing good, not thinking thoughts. Actually doing something good that costs you a little bit, a change in the right direction. You start feeling, wow, i got something to give. And that guy left that church that day on cloud nine. You know what? He's going to ask for more hours after the joy that fills his heart, amen? And now instead of being a tactoy burden, he's going to be a wonderful blessing. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Was for a harder section of scripture, just got so many good things to say to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all the hard workers in this fellowship. Man, I, don't, I just don't know one person who doesn't work. I really don't. I know everybody here just loves to be productive and is such a blessing, Lord. So keep us on the straight and narrow, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's stand. Closing song. Well, the three-verse benediction concludes 2 Thessalonians. I like to kind of our tradition. We read the last couple of verses together. His prayer, his benediction. Benediction, a Latin, from the Latin to bless. And so he, let's read it together. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord will be with you all. Whoops, sorry, my bad. Verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. There were forgeries, and so he was saying, look, here's my little signature, so you know this letter is from me and not the other guys. And what a great benediction of peace for a church that was having troubles, internal struggles. May the peace, look at that, the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every situation for the hard things to do. That's why it says never grow weary of doing right. I know it's going to be hard, but don't grow tired of it. It's an investment in your own sanity and uh, blessing for the church. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we thank you for First and Second Thessalonians. All those marvelous truths, Lord, the, the hard truths, the, the, the easier ones, Lord, the, the ones that we like to hear, the ones that are harder to hear. Uh, all, all your word just brings life. Help us to receive it, to listen, to do, to understand, and then to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.